Welcome back to Wrestling Changed My Life. This is your host, Ryan Warner. Folks, today's guest is Paul Glenn. Paul wrestled for the University of Iowa Hawkeyes during their heyday. Has some great stories about Gable and some of the training environments there. He's also a super successful business person. And this one is a little bit less wrestling heavy and goes more so on how wrestling kind of sets you up for a life of success no matter what career you go down. You know, Paul's a friend of mine. Um, as is the whole Glenn family, and it was an honor to have him on. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon. For past episodes, please visit WrestlingChangeMyLife.org. Peace! Ladies and gentlemen, it's time! Enjoy the show! Well, I was a fanatic. There's no doubt a fanatic. My goal was to get carried out of the wrestling room. Because of exhaustion, and it never happened. The thing it did for me every day about 6 o'clock is that when I got out, I looked back in and there was nobody else there. Bottom line was... All right, we're live for another episode. Paul Glenn, welcome so to the show. I went back in the room again. Thank you, Ryan. I got Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Because yeah, we're excited for this one. Kind of I know we go way back, um, you know, back to you know my middle school years when I first met you over at the Bettendorf Wrestling Rooms. And, you know, it's cool to still be in touch with you now and watch your son, you know, go on to have great, great success in wrestling. Um, but for the folks who don't know you, I'd love to just kind of start with your background. You know, how'd you get in the sport and where did it take you in life? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, grew up in Eastern Iowa, which is a pretty hotbed of wrestling for the Bettendorf Bulldogs and, you know, got introduced to sport right around the summer of between fourth and fifth grade. I was a pretty active kid as it relates to a lot of energy. So I think like most parents are say, let's redirect this kid, uh, where his energies can go be put to use. So um, I jumped into the sport and jumped in hard and fast and quick. Um, you know, I guess there was no, uh, it was jumping in the deep end quickly, which was finding great mentorships and great back then before they had private clubs. I found opportunities to go uh, into a, an adult wrestler uh, that really had a wrestling mat in his basement and took a group of five or six kids and we learned from them and we worked out year round and we had wrestling mats out in the yard and just great adult mentorship guys that were seniors in high school or college kids and uh, Bettner had a strong program and we were able to win a, a state championship as a team in 1981. So you were all in right away, just completely obsessed, bringing a high level of passion and energy to it. Yeah, I was. The mentor that I had, the, the mentor that I had with the program, uh, it was, you know, gosh, it was like 1974, 1975, and he was way ahead of his time. You know, he was training year round. He was running with ankle weights and lead, lead vested weights. Uh, he was just, oh had a weight God. room. Yeah, he was reading stuff on Steve Prefontaine. He was a gable. Uh, disciple, meaning he, he was a fan of Gable's work ethic. And, you know, he was getting up at 530 in the morning in 1974 and 75. And, um, you know, Matt's in his yard, Matt's in his basement, waits in his garage. And he was a senior in high school. I was a fifth grader and fell in love with the process and, and the competitive wow. nature of the sport and, and really learned about work ethic from the get-go. I mean, that's, that's probably the biggest part of it that I hear guests talk about consistently is, you know, wrestling teaches you how to work hard, but also how to be humble and have that self-reflection. As you, you kind of became obsessed with the sport 
and you started growing and loving the process, you know, kind of talk about what, uh, what was your career like through high school and college? And, and did you have any moments of like serious setback, setback and self-reflection? I mean, kind of walk us through your journey as you, as you moved in and progressed through the sport. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I guess what I would say is I was pretty average to start, but pretty, I ramped up pretty quick and had a lot of success. Um, you know, probably after one and a half years of, of limited success, um, you know, my, my career in high school was arguably a little better than my career in college. I won a state championship individually uh, with the Bettendorf Bulldogs. I was second my junior year and a four-time state qualifier, the typical stuff. Um, made Team Iowa on the freestyle Greco circuit and wrestled for um, the freestyle circuit back then. Well, now we call it Fargo. Today, we, you know, back then we, we called it Iowa City, the junior nationals. And had some success there as a three-time All-American. I was third, fifth, and sixth in the country. And what is now called as Fargo, twice yeah. All-American uh, on the freestyle circuit and once in Greco. And I, I think I won three, four state Greco titles and a freestyle state title. Um, and really always wanted to be an Iowa Hawkeye. So when Dan Gable came calling, I jumped in, um, you know, at that point in time, the Hawkeyes were loaded and were, you know, midway through maybe the Gable era that probably maybe the early to mid stages of the Gable era. Uh, Gable came to my house. I went up on a recruiting trip a couple times. Uh, I had four or five full ride scholarship offers and Dan Gable said, why don't you come here? And uh, we can't really afford any money. We've got some pretty good wrestlers at your weight class, like Jeff Kerber and, and uh, Barry Davis and Mark Trezino and Tim Riley. But you seem like you're a Hawkeye and meant to be a Hawkeye, but you can earn some money as you go. But why don't you come up here? I was from a poor family, uh, or I'd say not poor, middle-class family. And <laughs> I, I didn't really understand what money was, but I understood it didn't matter. The money's temporary, but having an experience at Russell for Gable is, is uh, life-changing. So I passed on five full-ride scholarships and jumped in as an Iowa Hawkeye in August of 1981. I got my first university bill. I sent it to my parents, and they sent it back to me and said, you're on your own, kid. Um, so it was uh, <laughs> a moment. <laughs> it was a moment of reflection. Fortunately, back then school was about three grand a year. It sounds ridiculously cheap, but it wasn't back then. Um, you know, I figured it out, and I got a job. Um, you know, working while wrestling at the University of Iowa. Um, my career there was we won five national titles as a team all five years, um, and uh, redshirted. My second year there, probably should have redshirted my first year. I got about 14 matches in as a, as a true freshman, redshirted. Um, in this, you know, I was behind Barry three years. He won a national title. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, my senior year is, is when it was going to click for me. Uh, I made the varsity. I was undefeated. I was ranked third in the country and beat the number five and number two ranked wrestlers. And then I tore my MCL. So that sidelined me for six weeks. Um, a guy named Brad Penrith filled in for me, um, who I had wrestled uh, earlier and had, had won a wrestle off, but uh, like the previous year. So I was the guy, but I was out. 
and Brad filled in. When Brad filled in, he went undefeated. So you get to mid-January, I come off of my injury. Brad is undefeated, and I'm undefeated. Um, and can't rank two wrestlers from one team. And so I was the ranked wrestler for the Hawkeyes. All the way up to the Big Ten, week of the Big Ten. By that time, Brad had suffered one loss. It was to Bill Kelly from Iowa State. And Bill was um, ranked second in the country. I had one loss. It was to the number one ranked guy, Steve DiPietro out of Northwestern. So Bradley and I had one loss between us. Here's the odd thing. I beat Bill Kelly. Brad lost to Bill Kelly. That was when we used to have a home and home against Iowa State every year. So Brad's one loss was to the guy I beat. His one loss was the guy that beat me, the number one ranked guy. Oh, so, my God. Uh, so we had to uh, – Gable asked us if we wanted to wrestle off and, or just per, see who would perform better. So we both said, hey, let's just see who performs better. At the, at the week of the Big Ten tournament, we obviously both performed pretty well with both of us having one loss each. So we wrestled off. It uh, was a two out of three wrestle off. I lost the last one, one zero in overtime. Um, So, so Brad got the, he got the nod. Um, I think during those wrestle offs, I don't think I suffered a takedown against me, but Brad was very tough on top. And then Brad went on to uh, win the Big Ten Tournament. He was the MVP of the Big Ten Tournament and won the national title in my own backyard in Iowa City. So, Ryan, I get asked this question a lot. Paul, you passed on full-ride scholarships. You were behind four national champions and Barry and Penrith. Um, you know, all for the little flavor of one full year or half a year of varsity. You know, do you regret it? Should you have gone somewhere else? You know, you could have done something at another program based on your credentials, blah, blah, blah. And I don't think for a second, not for a New York minute, do I ever think anything about regret or would have, should have, could have, and should have went here, should have went there. The fact is, I went to an amazing program and became the best wrestler I could be by being part of Dan Gable's philosophy, trainings, and teachings, and having remarkable teammates to try to keep up with, like the Barry Davises and the Randy Lewises and the Greg Randalls and the Mark Trezinos and the Jeff Kerbers and the Kevin Dressers. Um, and, and, and it was a good time. And we had, you know, four of my teammates made the Olympic team in 84, three, one gold, one, one silver. So, um, you know, funny thing with Penn State's dominance this, nowadays, we're like, oh, Penn State was at the best dynasty. I'm like, uh, look into the eighties and look at our team and look at who performed at Olympic level gold medal. I think we might argue that the Iowa Hawkeyes still hold that dominance uh, well, not only ahead that, of anybody. Gable did the remarkable thing of, you know, after 87, when I think Arizona State or Iowa State won it, they didn't win again until 91-92, but then they went on a second run. Then they had that incredible tournament at the UNI Dome in 97 with, like, Joe Williams, McElravey, um, I mean, Mike Mena, all those guys, and they did it again, I think, set the all-time scoring record there. So they did it twice. They did it twice. Yes, they did it twice. So that was kind of my wrestling performance. And, you know, like I said, I maybe didn't, didn't get uh, maybe the, on the award stand or the all American stand that maybe I would have hoped to, but I would tell you, I, I, I truly was 
maximize my ability within the Iowa program and I became the best wrestler I, I could have ever become, regardless of where I could have chosen to go, Iowa made me the best I could be. And that's where I walk away super proud. And I know that, you know, I earned my coach's respect and teammate respect. You know, I wouldn't change a thing. So you, you hit on a couple of things there that I, I, we have to dig, dive into. And the first is, you know, you were judging your success, not based on some external outcome, but based on your ability to be the best you can. And I think that's something that is lost on a lot of people. And maybe they're, they're basing their success or judging their success on other people's expectations. But, you know, really it comes down to being the best version of yourself. And that's something that, that clearly was in your mind at a very young age, which is, which is impressive. Yeah. I think um, I had good, good mentors there, Ryan. And, and that was helpful. And the, and the second thing is you were around, you know, people say you're the average of the five people you surround yourself with. You were surrounding yourself with national champions, Olympic gold medalists. I mean, you know, who were some of the more impactful people for you in developing your mentality and, and kind of your character that you have now? Well, I, I, w I would say my high school wrestling coach, who's a Hall of Famer, and Frank Freeman, and was a two-time All-American at U and I, uh, University of Northern Iowa at the time. It was, it was I think, Teachers College. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he had a mentality of just work ethic, work, 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 work. I would say my dad, who and my mom, who were Ten, you know, they raised ten kids. They ran a bar and restaurant. And if you run your own business, raising kids within the business, you would routinely see your mom and dad work eighty-hour weeks and never complain. So, it, and then you go throw Gable in there. So now you've got Gable, you got Frank Freeman, you got your mom and dad. You're seeing the work ethic that's instilled, and nobody ever complained, right? Like, um, and then it would, and then it probably specifically from a teammate. Um, I would say Barry Davis because he had tremendous passion. He was the hardest working guy on the team and he, and he made a clean living. We had, we had a few wild, the wild bunches of wrestlers, of course, back then different times, but, but even the wild and crazy had an, an amazing, ridiculous pace of work ethic. Um, you know, when they kind of taught you, Hey, if you work hard, if you, if you play hard, you still got to answer the bell and work hard. So it, it was my, you know, I throw Barry Davis, Dan Gable, my parents, and and wow. Frank Freeman in the mix. I mean, and I don't think people could understand, you know, growing up in the Quad City area where we did, just how big the the Hawkeyes are. Um, you know, even back, I mean, even still now, but especially back then, it it was like this phenomena that we had, had really never seen before. You know, this guy Dan Gable goes undefeated. Um, all throughout college, except his last match, wins a gold medal, and then turns around this program, Iowa. Um, it's just incredible the, the run he went on and almost beat John Wooden's streak of, of consecutive national titles. Now, when you were there, I, I, have, to, I have to ask this. You know, what was one of the, the craziest or, or hardest workouts you remember over your five years there? Do any stick out? Um, yeah, there's the, we used to call it the red flag day, right? And if, and if you're familiar with Iowa wrestling, they don't have it as much as they used to, but the red flag day was really designed to say, you never knew when it was going to be pulled. You never knew when you were going to wake up. It was pretty legendary. We would probably have two a year. Um, I don't know the meaning or the significance of why they came up with red flag and versus, you know, white flag, like I'll surrender because it's too tough, but yeah. It was somehow labeled Red Flag Day. It was always this kind of 
when you came into the program as this kind of ur- urban myth, you know, what is it? And the, the, the seniors and juniors would be like, hey, just hope Gable doesn't pull out the red flag day on you. And you're like, what's that? Like, well, nobody survives a practice. Everybody's crying at the end of the practice. And uh, so, it, it, you know, it, <laughs> yeah, I think Gable would love to see who it, he would love to see somebody break like one, you know, like let's get, let's get a national champion to break and, and, you know, really just, you know, get upset with Gable and, and like stop the practice and, you know, I can't do it or whatever. So it was just repeated motion. It was, it was really no breaks or limited breaks. It was hard live action followed by hard, hard live drilling, hard, followed by hard sprints, followed by, and there was never a time. You never knew if it was going to go three hours or two and a half hours or two hours. Uh, you just never knew. And usually what finally ended the practice, as I recall them, is just, is just somebody, you know, losing, losing their marbles and just breaking mentally. And then that was probably the sign that, okay, we're probably going to wrap things up pretty close because an All-American just completely snapped. Um, and you wow. always were wondering, like, you always looked around. Um, and back then, saunas were, were, were something we did a lot. Gable was a sauna guy. And, you know, there was many times where the whole team, 35 of us, would be in the sauna. And we would, you know, Gable would kind of lock the, book, lock the door, um, you know, just and, and kind of wait till someone breaks and starts literally like putting their, their face on the cold cement down below and trying to get a breath of fresh air between the crack of the sauna door and the outside and just see like who was going to break. And it was funny because you always assumed, well, I'm a, I'm a lightweight. I'm not going to break. It's going to be a heavyweight or somebody. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, 10 minutes became 20 minutes, became 25 minutes. And in then the you started getting a little nervous. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. With 30 guys in there, I can be claustrophobic, too. I mean, that's – I remember uh, the, the Iowa sun. I was in there once as, like, a, a young kid just kind of doing a tour. It's pretty big, but still, it's got to be packed with 30 guys in there. Oh, it's, it's packed. Top row, top row, bottom row, people standing. So the red flag day, the sauna workouts were the ones that stood out. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there's, there's a few stories. There's a few funny stories, too, about just, you know, the Bannock brothers and some of the intense battles or the, the fights that you would have in the wrestling room. Like, you know, that was usually a, a weekly occurrence. Somebody would get the, the intensity, the battles spilled over from a wrestling match and kind of ended up in a fist fight. But, Totally. Um, Gable, Gable loved those kinds of intensity moments because he knew that at that point in time, you know, the elevation of the, the work ethic and the commitment and the passion came to, you know, a crescendo with, with two bulls never backing down from each other. <laughs> and then at <laughs> last resort, you would just turn around and punch somebody because you'd be so upset. I mean, the, uh, you know, the, the saying kind of like an alpha male doesn't even do it justice. I mean, these are all guys who, when they're in that room, no one's just doing it to get by. They're, they're at their peak. They're hundred percent focused and they're taking it personal. Um, who was, who was like one of the, the guys who, who you'd say is just like the most mentally tough dude you've ever worked with and who absolutely never broke and was just the ultimate leader. Was it, was it a Barry Davis or was it someone else who you wrestled with? Well, I, you know, I would probably throw three names that always stood out. I mean, Barry was the consummate professional, right? So Barry did everything right. You know, he'd go to bed at the right time. 
you know, he would never drink. He, you know, drinking age was 18, 19 years old at that age. So, um, and Gable wasn't necessarily, you know, he had a work hard, play hard mentality. He wasn't like the, the coach that says, Hey, you're 20 years old. If you can legally drink, he wasn't banning you from drinking. And so he just figured if you, if you showed up in his wrestling room, whether 7am or 5pm or 9pm, you better be ready to go. There were a few guys that took some liberties, but Barry never, you know, Barry never took a shortcut, you know, and he did it with great passion and great energy. You know, even, even when he was cutting a lot of weight, he just came to practice with excitement. Um, you have work ethic and everybody has that to a degree, but there's levels to this stuff. There are levels to this stuff. And, and Barry had the greatest work ethic on the team, whether he's running, whether he's lifting, he didn't believe in jogging. He would like, if I said, let's go for a jog, he'd say, excuse me, you mean LeBron? You know, so there's just levels to it. Um, you know, Randy Lewis, Royce Alger, those guys are pretty legendary and, and they weren't necessarily um, guys, they weren't, they weren't afraid of a occasional beverage, but what you <laughs> learn from, you know, from Randy and you learn from Royce is, you know, extreme confidence extreme confidence and you also they had a lot of fun with the sport so no what, what what I learned from them is hey if you choose to play never let it interfere with your work um so no matter what those folks answered the bell like at an at a rate that was unbelievable so in the work world if you choose to go out at 9 p.m till 1130 or midnight, you're all adults, you can do whatever you want. But if you need to be in the operating room at 7am or 630, you better be on your A game. You got a patient on the table, you better be there. So, right. you know, you, you could learn a lot from, from Barry because he just did everything right. You could learn a lot from Royce because confidence and work ethic were extreme with him. You could learn a lot from Randy Lewis because confidence and they were the few athletes that could really, can you be social, have a good time, and win a national title, and work hard? I mean, those guys could do it all, um, which was, you know, a pretty rare feat. Yeah, I mean, those stories of, of Roy Salgers are, are, are stories of legend now. But, uh, I mean, without, <laughs> without saying too much, the guy enjoyed uh, his beverages, as you said, and, and I'm sure – tied if you want in the can of practice at 5 a.m. like it was no problem which is just amazing to me that someone could do that yeah I mean I think that's what it was amazing is they had this 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 responsibility built into them that it was never an option to, to miss practice I mean it just it was, it was never an option to show up and as long as you showed up with your a game on um, you know Gable had a pretty long leash uh, you know, again, you got you got to factor in it was just different times, right? You, if you were 18 right. years old, you were you were in your rights to go have a beer downtown. Um, it wasn't like today where it's 21 and you might not be able to be a, until your senior in college to be able to legally have a beer. So different times, right. but the work ethic was insane, um, and and it did kind of really set you know like make your mind wonder a little bit, like. You got to figure out, can you still have success? Do I have to be Barry Davis and do his lifestyle to have success? Or do I, you know, can I have a little bit of both? I think why Iowa was so successful is they had work ethic down and they had the, 
wrestling practice room and how you go about training year round down before anybody else did. Now the world, you know, to a degree, there's so many Gable disciples out there that you do kind of have to, today you, you can't really have maybe the world that you, you might've had 30 years ago where you can kind of, Hey, you know what? I'll play hard. I'll work hard today. It's pretty much, we're going to work hard. We're going to play a little bit, but we're going to be measured on our play. It seems much different. Yeah. I mean, and you know, the Penn state guys, they, that kind of, that, that comes to my mind when you say that they seem like a, a group of guys who, man, they compete as loose as you've seen anyone compete, but you, you got to know that probably they're not going out partying. They're doing the right stuff. Um, and this is all just speculation, but they just seem like a group of guys. that's very, you know, disciplined and, and humble, but man, do they compete loose and free. It's, it's, it's awesome to watch. Even as an Iowa fan, it's awesome to watch. You know, yeah, they, they, they've done some good things. There's no doubt about it. And we're all trying to, you know, to, to be what they are right now, which is dominant. Right. Right. Well, I know, you know, part of this, I wanted to dig into the Iowa stories and I could, I could keep asking questions for days, but the other piece is, you know, you've had an incredible run as a business professional and now you're, you know, a VP of sales running, you know, all of North America for Stryker. I'd love to understand you know, when you look back at your sales career, you know, what ways has wrestling helped you? And, you know, maybe what have you done differently that, that some of your peers haven't that's enabled you to get to the success level that you're at now? Yeah, I mean, I think if, if you're listening to, you know, any podcasts or any, any books that you might be reading, you know, I, I think the critical thing for athletes is to know one thing, that it's, it's uh, what you do as an athlete has, these skills are transferable. They are. They're extremely transferable skills. Unfortunately, I don't think colleges do a great job in the classroom of reminding the student athlete or for the student athlete to even have the confidence that it's a transferable skill, right? Um, and I can say this because I mentor and hire a lot of, a lot of student athletes. Um, and I, and I, I, I get to do this for a living now. I, I get to mentor young women and young men and and not only interviewing, but literally mentoring before an interview process and talk to them about life after their sport. And, and why is life after football going to be just, just fine? They're going to be okay. You know, athletes are super passionate about what they do. They have found their purpose during their college years. Most student athletes are going to college to be an athlete and get a degree. Um, and usually in that order, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I want to win a national title I want to be the best I can be. I have a limited window here. If you're a wrestler, if you're a volleyball player, if you're track, there's not a lot of professional avenues for swimmers or gymnastics. So you are focused on that four or five years and you're focused, focused. And even if you're getting good grades, you know, um, you know, and you're getting your business degree or your accounting degree, you're still pretty focused on your sport. Um, right. And, and I, I think my advice would be, Understand that if you can go through college, get a degree, get some decent grades with it, while competing in your sport, while getting up usually early in the morning, five, six days a week, going on the road and traveling to your events, um, while competing, battling through injuries, in case of wrestlers, ex you know, extreme you know, health, healthy choices on diet and exercise, 
while putting yep. your body through what it does and then still being able to, you know, uh, go and get your degree, you've done things that nobody else has come close to. That, you know, 35,000 people at the University of Iowa, you know, they may have 600 athletes and they may have, a, you know, maybe 100 graduating athletes per year or 150. They are extremely different and how they're qualified for the real world. They just don't know it. They have to understand mm. how to tell their story. The, the average college student goes through fraternity, sorority. Um, they have a lot of fun. They do their thing. They get to the classroom. But you know what? They don't have to go into the arena from 2.30 to 6 o'clock. They don't have to go get ice treatment or heat treatment. They don't have to go through surgical procedures to repair a torn ACL. They don't have to go through combat every day in the, in the wrestling room or on the football field or in the basketball court and compete every day. The business world, the working world wants people that can compete. They want people that can, you know, fail and get back up. They want people that when the day is tough and rough and they didn't have a good day, and their boss was mean to them, or they didn't get what they thought they would get out of the work week to just throw up their hands and go, oh, I'm going to go interview for somebody else now. You know, they want that student athlete. They want that person that can absolutely um, show grit and know how to grind. I just don't think student athletes understand what they have to offer the world. And that's a shame. And that's something that I think you know, mentors like yourself and others can help these student athletes realize it. And quite frankly, I think universities can even do a better job too um, of helping prepare the student athlete for life after their sport. Right. But, but, they need, but they need to realize that they have those skills. They have the work ethic. They have the time management skills. They have the capacity to grind and to compete. We love people that want to be measured and aren't afraid of a scoreboard. It was such a stigma that, I mean, I think it's a problem that that stigma is not more pervasive. I mean, you, on paper, you know, you see someone who, you know, was maybe a, went to the frat, you met, was in a frat and, and they got their business degree and, you know, maybe they did some club sports, but that's about it. Versus a guy who, you know, maybe doesn't have as good a GPA, but still has the business degree and then wrestled all five years, you know, on, you know, in most, most people's minds, if they're not an athlete, they'd, they'd take the former person, right? The person who kind of went the common route. They're the part of the frat. They had some good experiences, et cetera, et cetera. But man, you talk about mental toughness and the ability to persist when things are going against your way, which is going to happen every day in business, especially in sales. I mean, obstacles are everywhere. You, you got to go with the athlete. I mean, it's so, it makes so much sense to me, but it's kind of to your point, it's not as pervasive as it should be. It's not. And, and there's a couple reasons why. I think one, I don't think the student athlete understands what they have, what they bring to the table. You know, you've you got to remember that the student athlete is very confident in the world that they live in, right? Um, they're going out, they're kind of a big deal on campus. You know, they're, they're large and in charge to a degree. You know, hey, I'm a, I'm a basketball player. I'm a volleyball player. I'm a tennis player. Like in the world that I live in, I'm extremely confident and I'm extremely comfortable. And some of them don't realize until they get mentored or coached how transferable their skills are, right? 
So some of it is the awareness from the athlete to be more market, market themselves with confidence, right? Um, market themselves as a badass candidate for any job. And this is why you should hire me. I know how to compete. I know how to time management. I got my degree in four or five years while competing and working 40 hours in my sport in addition to X, Y, and Z. And I know how to lose and keep coming back. And it's funny to say, well, you know how to lose. I mean, do you really want to say you know how to lose? Like, do you ever want to get used to losing? No, you don't want to get used to losing. By, by what I mean by that is, you know, you're not going to go undefeated in life. There's going to be bumps, bruises, hurdles, obstacles, things that get in your way. And athletes know how to overcome those, right? Now, a lot of employees may think, or employers out there may think, well, athletes are too one-dimensional or athletes aren't as smart, you know? You know, it's funny, meatheads. but... yeah. Yeah, meatheads, but it's, it's funny. If you yeah. do the statistics, athletes on average graduate faster than the average student. Athletes on average high, have a higher GPA than the regular student body. So, you know, do we market those things as such? I think the great companies out there understand Get me an athlete. Give me, get me a college athlete. Now, if you're not a college athlete and you're listening to this podcast, you're like, well, what, are you saying that I can't compete? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying you found a way to compete. Maybe you went and held a job. Maybe you were raised the right way. Maybe you're super accountable. I'm just saying that if you were blessed enough to have the opportunity to compete at the collegiate level for four or five years in your sport, it separates you from the pack and it separates you tremendously from the pack because nobody else had those unique experiences. And that's what especially I'm saying. So take advantage sales. of that. Yeah. And especially in sales. Yeah. I mean, one of the, you know, in, in my line of work and you know, technology sales, every generation is a new darling, so to speak. And the darling of the nineties was this company called EMC and big storage company and they were famous for recruiting collegiate athletes didn't matter the sport who knew nothing about storage <laughs> and they would put them in a, a two-month boot camp and they'd put them out in the wild and it was eat what you kill and you got zero clients to start you were out there literally hunting doing whatever you could do to get your foot in the door sometimes extremely aggressive tactics <laughs> just to get past the gatekeeper but you know that model um is something that my first job they instilled because they were all EMC guys and they took that same model and it gave me a lot of opportunity. And anytime I talk to a, a student athlete now that I used to coach, I always say, Hey, I, you know, just know that there's a tremendous career awaiting you. If you want to go in sales, tremendous money to be made. And it's a lot of fun. It's, it's really hard for me to even conceive that it's a job. Sometimes it's so much fun when I know friends and family that are out pouring concrete, which is real work. You know, this is, it's work, but it's a different kind of work. And I think it's just really liberating to have that freedom of, you know, is, is, you know, if you work hard and smart and, and keep learning and, and improving your skills, you're going to do well. It's just that simple. You know, and athletes get that progressive mentality of, hey, it's about the work ethic and it's about the type of work you're putting in and good things are going to come. That's right. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So as we, as we wrap up here, um, We'd love to just kind of run three, you know, we call them rapid fire questions, but they don't have to be answered that quickly. Um, you know, the first is when you think about sales, what, you know, outside of trust, what are some of the more important qualities that you think 
are important to salespeople and how are you, you know, building trust with clients on an everyday basis? Well, trust obviously is earned, right? And, and there's a lot of ways you can do that. But, you know, I think if you're in sales, you have a chance to be a hero every day, right? Um, what do I mean by that? You got to go show up in front of a customer. You got to tell them what needs that you can, what, what needs do they have that you can meet? So, so trust at a basic level is showing up every day, showing that the customer or the client you care about and showing, showing them that whatever need that they have, you have the ability to fill that, whether it's your product, whether it's your service, whether it's your knowledge, whether it's your hustle, whether it's your attitude, there's something there that you can give them. And when you do that consistently, so I would say build trust by consistently performing and answering the bell and doing what you say you're going to do. It's a pretty simple equation. Yep. Yep. And how do you think about goal setting, even for your, your, for your business life, also for your personal life? Is that something you put a lot of thought into? And if so, how do you structure that? Well, I was fortunate on the goal setting side of things because I read like the John Wooden book back in 1973 and pyramids of success and the, you know, all these different things, but you, you have to set goals because if you don't, if you don't have goals, you can't really measure yourself. How am I doing? Am I behind target or am I above target? Athletes certainly know what goals are, right? I'm going to win the conference. I'm going to qualify for state. I'm going to be an all American. Um, the moment you stop setting goals, Ryan, is, is really you should probably just check out and retire. Um, and even if then, you should probably just die because there are a thousand goals to have in life. Run a marathon, lose five pounds, make it to the president's council, you know, sell a million dollars. I mean, you, you got to have goals and, and that's what keeps you alive. That keeps, keeps you driven. Uh, and every single month I have goals that are continuous goals, meaning it's a yearly goal, but then I also have monthly, quarterly goals. So you got to have small goals that give you the confidence to keep going and give you the confidence I can do this. And then the larger goal, which is going to be a series of doing the right thing day in and day out. And it's those small check-in points that keep you on target. Right. Because otherwise it can seem too overwhelming to look at your yearly, the yearly nut, so to speak. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah, how the hell am I going to get there? Well, especially in sales, right? You know, I always say, if you're in sales, you're going to get measured and you're going to have targets. Uh, the yearly goal might be a complete psych out. It might be, how am I going to tackle that $5 million quota? And if you don't have a plan, if you don't have goals, uh, that are weekly or daily or monthly, because you attack, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? How do you, how do you attack right. a yearly quota? You attack a yearly quota one day at a time, one product mm -hmm. at a time, one conversion at a time that is, then it starts compounding. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, juice, any advice I'd have is don't be psyched out by your yearly number and focus on the daily activities and the daily goals that will add up over a period of time. Because, uh, even for me being in this business for 28 years, um, if I stare at my yearly number that I get in January, um, it, it can be sometimes overwhelming. 
but you break it into quarterly, <laughs> monthly, or even weekly goals, you can start or chopping even, away. For someone at your level, it must be absolutely terrifying. You figure the business you're running is bigger than most businesses out there. You know, I think that's, that's the cool part about sales is that you literally are accountable for a, you know, let's say a $2 million, $3 million number as a rep. That's more than most businesses will do in a year, and you're directly responsible for that. So it's exciting, but it's also you know, a lot of responsibility that comes with it. Yeah, and that goes back to the whole fact, why are athletes, you know, great salespeople? They're, they're not afraid to go out, and someone's hand is going to get raised and come off the mat victorious, or somebody's going to come off that football field. But when you line up, at, you know, Friday night lights at 7 p.m. and the football pads are going to crash into the opponent, you got you to gotta thirst for that opportunity to compete. And every day in sales, Ryan, think about this. You're going to walk into whatever you're doing as a professional salesperson, and you're going to walk into a client or a customer, and more than likely, your competitor on maybe that same day or maybe later on the next week or maybe the week before you was going in to get that business from you or earn it or take it or get it before you get it or even have a shot at it. And that's exciting. That's the after, after college sports. You know, I, I always say that um, the business world is a sports contest and it's a sports contest no different than a football or baseball game. You're going to go out and somebody else is going to try to win and hit the ball further than you or, or, you know, run you off the mat or pick you up and pin you down. That's why we love athletes because they know how to compete and they want the score to be kept and nobody in sales, you get measured. Now you yeah. want to be measured. Don't go into sales. And the best part about it is that unlike sports where you might get to wrestle once a week, every freaking day you get to, to strap it on and go at it in sales. I mean, five days a week, you get to go in there and get after hey, it and you're never done. You know, Hey, and I, let me, let years. me add, let, let me add some flavor to this. And I think this is important. You know what the best thing about life after sports is? If you, if you translate if you translate the business world as a daily sporting activity or as a daily sporting event or as an opportunity to strengthen your muscle, to get quicker, to get faster, to get better, and that's what it is. That's the translation. That's the carryover. That's the skill set that you built up as an athlete. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to listen. I'm going to apply my skills every day, repeatedly, day in and day out, and I'm going to get better. Name an athlete to put the time in that didn't get better at their chosen sport. All you have to realize is an athlete going in and transitioning into the business world, same rules apply. You, you've done it your whole life. You're already, I don't care if the other person got a 3.8 and you came in at a 2.8 GPA. They didn't compete at the college level like you did as an athlete. I'll take the athlete all day long because you've trained for this your whole life. And here's the good news. And it's really good news. You may be looking at your sports career for whatever reason you may say, I did everything right. I worked my butt off. Coach loved me. You know, I got better. But you know what? I didn't get drafted in the first round. 
and I thought I was going to be in the NFL or I thought I was going to be in the MLB. Um, but I didn't get there because I, you know, I ran a five, two forty or they didn't want to, they didn't want a five eleven, you know, D back. They wanted a six, three and my vertical jump was too short in sport. There are some physical limitations sometimes. Totally. Right. Yep. Am I, am I fast enough? Am I quick enough? Or wow, this person really maximized the most out of their athletic ability, right? They're a grinder. They really got the best out of it. But man, if they only had the athleticism that it took, that person's work ethic coupled with another person's skill set, and you hear coaches say this all the time, right? If I could blend these two athletes on my team, one has heart, one has work ethic, the other one just has ability. Here's the good news. If you're a former athlete, the business world has no handicaps based on how fast you run. Like there, there's no physical limitations that are going to take away your ability to be the world's best business person. And I love that, right? You go right. into the business world knowing, and you should know this, you go into the business world where truly the sky's the limit. You can't always say that as an athlete. I, I'm, I was fortunate because we chose wrestling. And wrestling is a work ethic results out equal commitment and result, right? We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort um, and grind. Some athletes, though, go, you know what? I was limited. I love the sport of basketball, <laughs> but it was 5'4", right? right? But know this, as you transition into the business world, you start with zero handicaps. There are nothing about your height, your speed, your size, your quickness, your athletic ability. That doesn't apply. So that's great news because there's that's nothing that point. can stop you but yourself, right? And I love that. I love thinking about it in that way. Like, think about what you got out of your own sport. Maybe, maybe not. There was something physically that took you away from being how great you wanted to be. Maybe, maybe. So certain sports athleticism applies more than work ethic. Uh, work ethic will maximize all of us. But right. man, there are no limitations when you go into the business world. Only focus on the skill sets that you've used and be confident that you are ready to compete in the world that we live in. There's nothing that the business is really going to throw at you that you haven't worked or faced 20 or 200 or 2,000 times in your career. You just have to understand how to bucket it differently. I love that. It's, it's really liberating. And then last question for you, Paul, and this is a quick one, is if you had to describe the mindset that you think it takes to be successful in life with one word, what, how would you describe that? Ryan, one word for me, pretty easy. If, 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 if life success comes down to one word, it's attitude. It's attitude. There it is, baby. You know, there it is. It, it, Perfect. It's, it's attitude, right? Uh, I'll leave you on this note. There's this lovely old expression where you fill up a glass and you put it right at the halfway mark. <laughs> It's either half empty or it's half full. If you, choose to, if you choose to view that glass as half empty, 
you're right, it is. Good luck with life. I think you're going to make life harder than it needs to be because of your outlook and your attitude. If you see that same glass that's also half full, very cliche-ish, it's an extreme cliche, the cliches usually are pretty accurate. Um, you will have a better life. You will have a happier life. You will have a more successful life. You will look at, you know, do you see a green by every sand trap, Ryan, or do you see a sand trap by every green? Right. right? You, you know, right. that's attitude. Do you see a solution to every problem that is thrown out your way? Or do you see a problem to every solution? You're both right, but man, I understand how you line up with that choice, which is an attitude. And, and choice isn't even hard. It doesn't take athleticism. It doesn't even take effort. It's just a mental choice to make. So choose attitude. That's the end of this episode, but definitely not the end of the show. For more episodes, please go to wrestlingchangemylife.org. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a star rating. Show the love, baby. Show the love. Thank you so much. We'll see you again soon. Peace.